wonderful show is keeping up with the Joneses. Mrs. Jones. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm, I've conquered many lands in Catan. I'm very excited. No, I have conquered many lands in Catan. You don't even like Catan. Okay, you have me there. To- uh, why won't you learn how to play it with me? Well, I live-tweeted you teaching Cindy how to play. Yes. That just about sent me over the edge. Well, it almost sent me over the edge as well, but (laughs) (laughs) I I believe you would enjoy it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Tell me about this week. It was a great week. We had some guests in town. Yes. It was a week full of wonder. Uh, We had Chris Dupre uh, come in and also Jamie Galloway. So they both taught on the school. And then Jamie ministered on Monday night at Emanate, which was great. And we got a sweet prophetic word. We did. He prophesied for like an hour uh, and then he spoke. Yeah, he did. I, I absolutely loved it. It was great. Uh, it has been a week of milestones. A milestone very close to my heart is the fact that... On it was Wednesday- our anniversary? Yes. <laughs> That's not what you're going to say. What were you going to say? I was going to say I also got five stars on both New Super Mario Bros. U and New Super Luigi U. Thanks to Mr. Will Law. We, we've put that game to rest. <laughs> Who honestly, his service to my Nintendo Completion Foundation uh, has been stunning. <laughs> it really has. He really, you know, takes one for the team and shows up. I'm a little surprised that that is your highlight of the week, however. Well, you're right. I, in retrospect, it wasn't the highlight of my week. The highlight of my week was getting a new game, which you bought me for our anniversary, which was amazing. <sighs> Yoshi's Woolly World. <laughs> no, the highlight of the week was the anniversary, darling. The yes. Yoshi's Woolly World was just a bonus. Wait, what's the game called? Yoshi's Woolly World. <laughs> it is very sweet and very charming. But yes, you, you do bring up a very good point. It was our 11-year wedding anniversary on Friday. Yeah. What do you get for uh, year 11? Hang on, let me look up at Wikipedia. It says new Nintendo games, so that's <laughs> awesome. Oh, goody. I can't wait to get mine. <laughs> I don't know. Is it is is it every year has a number or is it just the milestones? I have no idea. All right, we should look that up. We and, should. And I would imagine we have 11 years of retrospection. We could um, we could see if our guest today happens to know what the 11-year one is, just for fun. Oh, he'll know the heavenly version of it. Probably well, not the Wikipedia version. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so tell the good people what we did for our anniversary. We, well, I went to the dentist. <laughs> you know what? We just... Living like rock stars. Yeah. But the thing that makes me excited about going to the dentist is right after the dentist, I always go to the jam Nashville. Yep. It's and you true. brought me home breakfast tacos, so it was win, win, win. And they are so good. But that was your wedding anniversary in a nutshell? No. That okay. was that was the launch of it. And then we went to Husk for lunch, mm-hmm. which is a restaurant we haven't been to before uh, in downtown Nashville. And then we went and saw... For the second time, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. But this time we went in, well, the first time we went in 3D, but this time it was 3D IMAX. Yes. What was my major complaint? Uh, You felt dizzy. (laughs) That wasn't my major complaint. (laughs) My major complaint was it wasn't actually shot in IMAX format. Oh. So you got this gigantic screen and you're still only using parts of it. Oh. So I've kind of felt cheated. I'm sorry about that. I really enjoyed it. You did. I left halfway through and played games on my iPhone. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then we went to Cafe Nona for dinner. Yeah, which was a last minute change of plan because we realized we were up north. And there's this beautiful little, how would you describe Cafe Nona? It's a tiny Italian restaurant, um, you know, owned by 
an Italian one, let's presume. <laughs> is it? I don't think he's Italian. I don't know. It's an amazing restaurant. I mean, the food is just outstanding. Food's amazing. Service is wonderful. Yeah. And it's just this cozy, quaint little place that... It's always packed. Mm-hmm. So we were really surprised that they could fit us in, but they did, which was lovely. And then that brings us to Sunday, which is today. Today. You didn't get to go to church. I didn't. I just woke up feeling rough. And so I stayed home and slept for an extra four hours. So for the last six weeks, Pastor Jeff has been teaching us all about generosity. And last week we took up uh, an offering. And this week we found out, A, where the offering was going to, and B, how much came in. Right. And I think it's fair to say everybody was staggered. Yes. Our church this morning gave away $303,000, a little over that. Yeah, to a ministry that's for ending uh, sex slavery in Tennessee. Yeah, it's called EndSlaveryTN.org. They thought they were coming to present to the church about their ministry. Jeff interrupted them about five minutes in and said, I'm sorry, we got you here under false pretenses. Yeah. And then... And he's like, but you still love me, right? And she's like, I don't know. It depends on what you've been lying about. (laughs) It was quite clever. I watch from uh, online at home, obviously, from being in bed. But I felt super excited you know, just watching it from being at home. So you were saying that in the room, everybody was just, it was electric. It was pretty electric. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can watch. It's a really short episode, but it's well worth watching. It's amazing to be part of a church. This is the third time we've done this. Yeah. In in fact, we're close to giving away almost two thirds of a million dollars since we've been at that church. Yeah. So exciting. It's astonishing. Yeah. Well, we're very excited because we have a special guest tonight. We have a guest with us this evening. Our friend David Wagner. David, the people might not know who you are. Some people will, obviously, <laughs> because you're David Wagner. But some people might not. And I thought it would be fun to recount how we got to know you. Awesome. <laughs> it's, good. it's good to be with you guys. Are, are you nervous about what story I'm going to tell about how we got to know you? <laughs> you know what? My life's an open book, so... Well, it, it's a great story because it's all Roland and Heidi Baker's fault. Because when Jeff was out in Mozambique, they were like, do you know David Wagner? And so Jeff was like, no. And Heidi was like, you have to have David in. So normally we tend to only have people come in that we know, like through relationship. And But Jeff was like, you know what? Heidi Baker doesn't usually make exclusive statements like that. So we invited you into the church. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. You came in, you spoke on Sunday. And then you ministered to the staff, and AJ and I were one of those staff, and yep. we were in that little weird room, and you prayed this really <laughs> sweet prayer. You gave us a great word, and then yeah. at the end, you switched from giving us a word to this really polite prayer about a baby, a, did you say baby boy? You kind of, you, you, you didn't even you mention hedged babies. It. You, you totally you hedged it. new beginnings and, and I thought, oh, new creation. I and- think he's- <laughs> being really on his best behavior and like honoring the no dates mates babies direction correction hatches matches dispatches and so i think i just cheekily said hey you've got boys don't you and you're like yeah i was like well we've been trying to conceive for two years to have a boy or we've been trying to conceive period for two years and we'd love a boy and then and i said and it kind of felt like that you were prophesying <laughs> do you remember this yeah yeah I do. and then you, you were just super bold you're like well you know what next time i see you, you'll be holding a baby boy in your arms and then the next time we saw you we had michael john yeah, 
So amazing. I remember, I remember that. I remember the day you had him. I was in Australia with another one of our friends, Gary Morgan. Yeah, that's right. And um, so I was there and um, I got the text and Gary and I had that moment together. So it was really amazing. Yeah, that was, that was incredible. And so going back to that moment, were you, did you see a baby boy and you were just totally trying to be honoring of the house or what was going on? Right. You know, wherever I go, I really try to honor protocol and, um, you know, I, I think it was my initial time being with being with people. So I I do have uh, guts, but uh, for for me, uh, I, I, wherever I go, I submit under the kind of the authority of the house, and so just figuring out the protocol of the place and and um, you know, I also it's a sensitive thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. You, you don't want to, uh, you know, you just want to be careful because you're 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 speaking into people's lives, right? And um, for me, the fear of the Lord really um, surrounds the prophetic. I don't, so I don't play with it. I don't want to guess at it. I, right. I, I want to know that something's really the word of the Lord. And so, you know, I think then there's that relational cam, you know, that relational component where there's the initial word, then there's the prayer, and then there's the, hey, this is what we're doing, and the Lord just weaved it all together. And- oh, it was amazing. Since then, we've had you, I, I've lost count number of times, we've had you at conferences, you know, Sundays, you teach at our school, and you're so loved by us, obviously, but you're also loved by our community. And aside from being a wonderful prophet, we count you as a dear friend. So it's a real treat for us to have you on the podcast tonight. We've been trying to get you for a couple of months now, but our schedules haven't collided. Yeah, it's, it's great to finally be on, and I've been following you online, and I thought one day, one day, <laughs> one day, Lord, I'll, I'll be big enough and good enough to be on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the crazy thing, and I was just mentioning this to you earlier, is I don't know your story from A to Z of how you came to know the Lord and how you ended up as a prophet. I know bits and pieces of it because you've told it, and the bits and pieces I know, I kind of nudge you and go, did, did you did he just say what I thought he said? Did you did you know that? So you have a pretty crazy story as stories go. Do you do you feel like sharing that story? Yeah, you know, today is uh, actually the nineteenth anniversary of, of encountering God, and um, where He just radically changed my life. And so, uh, you know, I I'm the youngest of five kids. I tell people often that I really should have been a statistic if you look at statistics in America day of, of fatherlessness and all of those things. And uh, when I was six years old, my dad died. I'm the youngest of five. And um, uh, he had a malignant brain tumor, was diagnosed right around my sixth birthday, had surgery on my sixth birthday and died a week before Christmas, uh, you know, just four, uh, a few months after. And so I was raised by my mom, my grandma, and basically my three sisters. And um, my mom and grandma were mean. They They did something very mean to me. They made me go to church. And, the worst. Um, that's and, uh, so bad. So, and um, as long as the doors were open, I was there, and um, uh, it was a traditional church, uh, um, and so they they would bring me. So sometimes I tell people it was as long as fifty eight minutes of my life every week, but they made me go. And uh, one Sunday <laughs> afternoon, I came home. I was in my room playing GI Joes and Tonka trucks and uh, blowing things up and 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 just crashing into stuff. And uh, the Holy Spirit fell in the room. I, I don't know how to explain it other than that's what it was. And he, he spoke uh, to me. It was out loud. And uh, six years old, never had an experience like it. He just said, son, I've called you to go around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go, lives be touched and changed. So and, you're, um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> you mid-flow, but <laughs> for clarification's sake, you're six years old. Six years old. And you're playing, minding your own business. 
the Holy Spirit shows up and audibly speaks to you. Yeah. Ever heard that voice before? Never heard the voice before. Were you confused? Uh, at the moment, I wasn't confused. It was such a uh, loving, uh, loving, loving voice, and I immediately responded. Um, I think all of us were created, as all of us are created in the image of God, according according to Scripture. You know, He He spoke us into existence. He before He before I was formed in my mother's womb, He knew me. So I think all of us have that desire to hear the voice of the Father. There's all right. this recognition. Uh, I, I think there's a, an ability to recognize the voice of God, even in a in a young child. There's just that childlike faith. So as as soon as he spoke, I responded. Uh, so I tell me again what he said. He said, son, I've called you to go around the world preaching the gospel, wherever you go, lives to be touched and changed. That's not too dissimilar from Jeremiah's call. Yeah. It, you know, at six years old, you never... You know, I wasn't familiar with the story of Jeremiah. I knew right. David and the giant. I knew, you know, some other, and Noah and, and the ark and, you know, Jonah and the whale. But uh, I, I had no real understanding of, of scripture as a six-year-old boy. Right. And so he speaks and, and I tell people that every revelation requires a response. I didn't know what I, that I was doing it, but I put a robe on because where I grew up, preachers wore robes. <laughs> uh, I made a fake microphone. <laughs> I, I lined my stuffed animals up. And I started preaching my guts out at six years old. And uh, in the middle of it, I, I tell it like this, about the time that Teddy was about to lift his paw and give his life to the Lord. And about the time G.I. Joe was going to get my healing line and get his arm put back on and <laughs> Care Bear was going to get delivered. Uh, my mom and grandma walked in and they just said, David, what are you doing? And I said, God spoke to me and their eyes got big as saucers. And they uh, said, who talked to you? And uh, they never knew that God could talk. We weren't raised that he could, and we, the only way that God spoke was through the scriptures and, and our tradition. So um, they were, I think, uh, scared. I think somewhat they were excited, and they did the right thing. They took me to the, the pastor the next day, and they said, you tell him what you told us. And I said, Pastor, God spoke to me, and he began, he got irate. He turned He turned purple and red, and and uh, he, he was just irate, and he said, I said, uh, Pastor, God spoke to me. He said, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever good lives we touch and changed. And uh, he shook a big, giant print King James Bible at me and said, boy, get it through your head. God doesn't speak today. He said, everything you read in this book, he no longer does. And, <gasps> um, and told my mother that I must be crazy to take me to a psychiatrist. So she did. And uh, at six and a half years old, I was diagnosed as a schizophrenic because I heard the voice of the Lord. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my goodness. That is brutal. So yeah, so you know, um so you know, you start down that you start down that road and if you hear something long enough over your life you'll start believing it. The other thing that you mentioned there is if you, it's interesting about both those people are both authority figures. Yeah. So there's a, you know, a pastor in your life effectively cursing you and there's a well-meaning doctor an authority figure but giving, you know, speaking a declaration of your life. So what happened after that, six and a half of that diagnosis? You know, I, I struggle with that. It starts you on medications and counseling, and you hear that you're this and you're that. And by seven years old, I was really, really bitter. And um, I felt like I was lied to. Um, I felt like maybe I was crazy. And if you hear something enough, you'll you'll start acting like it. So at seven, I started smoking cigarettes. At nine, I started drinking it. 12, I was just running the streets of Chicago where I grew up and uh, I became one of those kids in the neighborhood and most people didn't want their kids to play with. Filled with anger and hate, uh, mostly towards myself. I didn't want to live. And so at 13, uh, I hung a rope uh, in, in the rafters of our garage and I uh, jumped off a ladder and hung there. I, was, I don't know how long I was hanging there, but the rope broke 
And, um, you know, it, it was, I know now that it was divine intervention that God, you know, had saved my life. And I got into quite a bit of trouble. My mom moved me to a Christian high school and, um, I set the record for in-school suspensions and detentions in a in a in a term. Out of boy, good Atta job. Boy. Yeah. I still hold the record today. I call <laughs> I call back every year to Chicago Christian High School, make sure nobody's getting close. They say, "Don't worry, Wagner, we'll we'll kick them out before we bring you back." So it's my it's my claim to fame. Wow. Oh my gosh. But um, you know, uh, I felt really in that school, really out of place. Um, I felt judged a lot. I wasn't the the right pedigree. I didn't have the right family. I didn't have the right name. Right. And and uh, so I just caused trouble because negative attention is better than no attention. And I was in a search for significance. I wanted to know that that, that I mattered, that somebody saw me, that somebody heard me. And um, it, it was it was a rough time, you know, I think just navigating adolescence and all of those things anyway. But I had a real, you know, spirit of rejection on me. You know, of uh, abandonment, you know, even from my own dad dying, obviously he he had no say-so in it. But I felt like, you know, there was something in me that caused his death and the rejections that I found in the church and the rejections in other, other places. I thought there was something wrong with me and I had just such such bitterness in my life. And so then I, uh, at 17, uh, I, I didn't want to live. And so I, I, I tried to drive my uh, 1977 black Monte Carlo into Lake Michigan. And as accelerated across the parking lot to drive over the wall into the into the lake, um, had a full tank of gas when I got to the parking lot. But as I went across, all of a sudden the car just died and the gas tank went to empty. There was a hole in the gas tank and Lord intervened again. And then a few months later, I tried to do it again and I hit a semi truck, uh, but I didn't get a bump, a bruise, or a scratch because I had my seatbelt on. And uh, I, you know, I heard the story about click it and ticket, and then safety first. Uh, <laughs> I tell people, you know, I didn't want to get hurt; I wanted to die. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, and and so I emerged from that and finished up uh, finished up high school. And somehow I I, I graduated with a one point nine three grade point average, which is a D. So D is still passing. D is for David. I tell people. Oh, and, no. uh, <laughs> aim high so (laughs) and um and so i i i pass and uh this recruiter comes from a from a christian college and i they talk me into applying and they give me a choir scholarship and so i I wait (laughs) okay did you sing already somewhere you know what? I, I did. I sang in high school. The only teacher that I had two teachers that took to me that liked me that were my advocates, a home ec teacher who would let me smoke outside of her room. She was tired of me getting in trouble for smoking. So she was my lookout. And then uh, the choir teacher um, who <laughs> was just tired of everybody beating up on me. And um, and so he took me under his wing and, and found this voice in me. Wow. And, um, you know, I look back now and it was prophetic. Back then it came out in a choir and and came out in, in solos and things. But it was, um, the God, my whole life, the Lord's been after my voice. Yeah. He, he, want, he wants my voice to be heard in the earth. And so when people wouldn't hear me speak it, they would hear me sing it. Wow. And um, uh, I just got that revelation now sitting here talking to you. You're welcome. Wow. Thank you. We'll send you an offering later. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, so I get to, I get to college and I'm, I'm working, uh, I got a campus job for security, and I tell people it wasn't to keep the campus secure; it was actually to to meet girls. And um, 
and one night I'm in the I'm in the security van. I have a yellow light flashing on top of the van, and have my orange vest on, and a, and a big old flashlight, and a walkie-talkie with nobody on the other end. <laughs> That's where schizophrenia comes in handy. <laughs> Dave DeBase, go ahead, base. This is Dave. And you, can, and, uh, you know how to entertain yourself. <laughs> and uh, it's funny now. <laughs> Going through it, it's not, but. Oh. So uh, I'm I'm working security, and on a Halloween night, uh, a police car pulls in, and he pulls up next to me in the security van. Rolls down his window. His name's Sergeant Bob Johnson, no relation to Bill, uh, and just said, "Hey," and he starts talking. And I tell him, you know, my dad was from a family of 15 kids, uh, 13 boys and two girls, and eight of those boys were Chicago policemen. And he said, "Dude, it's the family business." You look like a good, clean-cut American boy. Why don't you apply to be on the police department? And uh, I thought, crazy kid who likes to drink a lot with badge and gun. That sounds like a good deal to me. And uh, so, oh, I, so I applied. <laughs> How uh, old are you when you apply? Uh, I was about 19. Okay. And um, so I pass psychological exams. When you take them enough, you know how to pass them. Uh, when you, uh, I pass psychological, I pass written, I pass physical. I uh, go to the academy, I get on, I come out. And uh, for five years, I do pretty well. Uh, I'm pretty decorated. I'm starting programs, but, but drinking and anger really take over my life. So wait, you were a police officer. Yes. How did I miss that part? I'm surprised I, I knew you never that heard part. It. I did hear that part somewhere. That's amazing. Yeah. Officer Wagner. Yes. Okay. And so I'm 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 on there and um but drinking takes over. I can't show up for day shift on time I'm, and at night shift I'm showing up still with liquor on my breath and so I'm sent home sometimes. Uh, I'm angry and I threaten to shoot somebody in both their elbows and kneecaps. So every time it rains they'd have to think about me because of arthritis and uh, you can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I, could, I could see where that would be a bad idea especially when they're recording you should never do that and um, oh dear so i had the great privilege of either being fired or re- resigning and so i resigned and um pretty much thought my life was over so uh, i was a failure at everything so i went home put a 38 special smith and wesson revolver in my mouth pulled the trigger hammer hit the bullet but the bullet didn't come out of the gun i rapid fired it so it went all the way around the went all the way around and um my friends on the police department um, showed me the showed me the gun. Every bullet has a, a mark on it where the hammer hit it, but it all, every one of them misfired. So five misfires, and uh, so I grabbed my Glock seventeen nine millimeter and I put it to my head, pulled the trigger. Had one in the chamber, sixteen in the clip. Pulled the trigger rapidly, and nothing happened. Those guns, uh, Glocks, you can drop from a. Uh, from a helicopter onto concrete, pick them up, and they shoot straight, almost never misfire. That's why most police departments use them. And so the gun misfires, and I tell people, you're pretty messed up if you can't kill yourself right. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's torment. It, it's it's pure hell because you, you're a prisoner in your own head. And um, then the unthinkable thing kind of happens. My, my grandmother has a massive stroke on Easter Sunday of 1994. And... Um, I loved my grandma more than anybody else. She was 90 years old and she came to the U.S. from, from the Netherlands and <clears throat> she um, had a stroke. So they said, if you want to get say goodbye to grandma, you need to get to the hospital. And I did. And her lungs were filling with fluid, had the death rattle going on. And uh, we were gathered around the bed. It's the first time I saw my mom in maybe six months. My stepdad was there. A preacher was there and some family. And I was drunk that night when I showed up and, um, we were all saying goodbye. Some people were praying. Some people were crying. 
In the middle of it all, my Dutch grandmother sat straight up in the bed out of a coma and starts singing a song. And she goes back into a coma and comes up three more times and finishes the song that night. At two in the morning, we, we went to say good, we were saying goodbye and expecting her to, to slip away, pass away in the night. The next morning, I went to uh, see her and um, nine o'clock in the morning, um, expecting her to be dead. And she was sitting up straight in the bed. She was drinking tea and uh, eating a piece of toast. And uh, it's the only time I ever saw my grandmother angry when I walked in. Uh, she said, um, David, I know you were here last night. It was my night to go home and be with the Lord, but he kept me alive to tell you this. I'm sorry we didn't believe you when you were six. We just didn't know any better. But God hasn't changed his mind about you. He's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives be touched and changed. And um, So verbatim the word that, that, I, that I'd heard you know, years prior, and then she said words that I, I couldn't understand, didn't want to understand. She said, and you'll be the one to win your brother. And um, there was a huge problem for me because I, I really hated my brother. My brother was my tormentor. He's a lot older than me. Uh, locked me in hot attics in the summertime, put me in gas dryers and turned him on. He, he beat me. He molested me, all of those things. And so I hated his guts. And uh, so I thought, well, I could be a preacher, but but I never want that. I didn't know if there was a hell if there was one. I wanted him to go there. And uh, 15 minutes later, after my grandmother gave me that word again, uh, she went home to be with the Lord. And uh, I took off running. <laughs> oh, my and, um, goodness. So I moved from uh, I moved from the sure, Chicago man. area up to Wisconsin. And um, and you know, if you don't deal with your stuff, you know you you can change locations and still have the same demon. That's right. And um, and so I just ran. And uh, I met uh, I met a girl along the way, and um, we we you know uh, fell in love, I guess, and and um, we were living together. And there was just one huge problem: she had a crazy Christian mother that believed the whole Bible. So whenever we would go over there, uh, her mom would say, "I love you. I'm praying for you," and all those things. I say, "Don't love me. Love you. Don't pray for me. Pray for you." And um, and the unthinkable thing happened. The, the girl gave her life to the Lord, gave me an ultimatum that if I wanted to stay with her, uh, I needed to go to church. But it was one of those churches and uh, one of those, you know, believe the whole Bible churches. And um, oh, that was not my, not my cup of tea at the time. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'll, I'll go. But under two conditions, number one, if anybody speaks in tongues, I'm gone. I don't believe in anything, but I know that's not for today. And then number two, if anybody rolls in the aisles like you holy rollers do, I'm gone. Uh, it didn't take long. It was a, a Sunday where they had a, a crazy guest preacher. And um, this guy was a missionary to Spain. And he was dressed up like a clown. He ministered to kids in the squares of Madrid. And he was demonstrating that. And so he was dressed up like a clown. He had a clown hat, clown shoes, clown pants, suspenders, flower that squirted water. Uh, and he preached on a unicycle. I said, look, baby, holy roller, let's go. And uh, <laughs> she said, no, just wait it out. And it was bad. The guy couldn't preach. He uh, kept losing his place in his notes, couldn't find scriptures. Well, he was, was on a unicycle yeah, after so, all. <laughs> so he was fumbling around and there was all of these awkward moments of silence. Kind of like that. Hmm. And um, in the midst of one of those awkward moments, this lady let out in tongues, which to me sounded something like, Keys to a Honda, shoot a mosquito, came in a Ford, left in a Chevy, burrito, taco, generous house, chicken, chicken, almond, ding. You know, it was something I didn't 
comprehend or get and so freaked me out i tried to run out of the church but it was like my butt was glued to the seat and the guy on the unicycle said and the interpretation is there's a young man here you're 26 years old you've been running from god your whole life he spoke to you when you were six and again three years ago on your on your grandmother's deathbed and he's not, he's speaking to you again today he says he's not um the world's called you alcoholic and schizophrenic but he calls you son and he said son if you give me your life i'm going to take you around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go lives we touched and changed and you'll be the one to win your brother Good night, David. So I'm in. I'm in this. <laughs> you have my attention, Lord. <laughs> I, I'm in the the place, and I'm weeping, and I'm weeping, but I don't. I don't go forward. I don't respond. Out of boy, and um, and and I leave, and um, the relationship ends, and so we're recording this on January seventeenth today. So on January seventeenth, uh, nineteen ninety seven, I, I took two hundred fifty prescription pills, Haldol, Percocets, Ambien. Risperidol, and I laid down and a bottle of gin and a 12-pack of beer, and I laid down to die, or so I thought. Nobody knows how it happened, but I ended up in a church 12 miles away from where I was living. Um, walked into the church office. The pastor uh, was turned out to be his first day out of seminary. He was the interim pastor. <laughs> and uh, he was just holding down the fort till they elected another one. Oh, dear. And uh, I dropped dead in his office. And um, he called an ambulance. The ambulance came and resuscitated me. I spent two and a half days in a coma. <laughs> At the end of the two and a half days, uh, they got a hold of my mother. They finally found out who I was, and uh, I had no ID on me or anything. And they got a hold of my mother uh, in Chicago and said, you might as well forget you ever had this son. He's not going to live. If he does live, he'll be a vegetable and live in an institution the rest of his life. And uh, my mom just prayed a prayer. God, you gave him to me, and I give him back to you. I named him David because <laughs> I always believed he'd be my little shepherd boy. And um, I don't know what you're going to do, but Lord, make my son a miracle. I don't know if it was at that time, but around that time, a bright light came into the room, and um, the Lord spoke to me for the fourth time and said, Son, I've not changed my mind about you. I've called you to go around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go, lives be touch and change, and you'll be the one to win your brother. He took me by the hand and took me to what I call the outer banks of hell. I could hear the, I could hear people screaming out, burning flesh, sulfur. And uh, people were saying, Wagner, why don't you tell me this place was real? Uh, you went to church twice on Sunday, every Wednesday night. Why don't you tell me this place was real? Get us out of here. And um, Jesus said, if you give me your life, I'll use you to rescue people from this place. And I woke up, and for the first time ever, um, I felt peace, I felt joy, and I felt this overwhelming love. And so I prayed a prayer in the in the mental ward that went something like this. God, if you can love me when I can't love myself, I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. Uh I died empty. I woke up hungry. I died crazy, woke up in my sound mind. And I had to spend four months proving that I was sane to get out from underneath the Baker Act. And um, doctors would say things to me like, own your disease, say you own it, say you'll take your medication, say you'll come to treatment, say you'll keep your appointments and we'll let you out of here. And I had to say, I can't own it because I don't own it. Jesus took it from me. And so for four months, I'd have to go through all of these things, electric shock treatment. They did all kinds of things to, I had no choice. I had to do whatever they wanted me to do. Is that because you were like a ward of the state? I was or? a ward of the state. Wow. So uh, I was considered uh, an incorrigible of society, basically a non-person. So it took me to two years ago uh, to finally be able to get life insurance or health insurance. Wow. I had no value as a human being in two states. And um, and so, you know, we live in a society where people, you know, I think the greatest crime in the world right now is identity theft in, in the natural. But I think that it's, it's that way in the spirit as well. Somebody tries to steal you from you. 
you know, somebody tries to, to, to devalue you. Somebody tries to, to tell you that you're, you're worthless when really the truth is you're priceless. And so on Good Friday, I got into an argument with a psychiatrist who, after going back and forth, he finally got so mad and said, Wagner, I just want you to get out of my face. I want you to get out of here and I never want to see you again. And he signed my release on Good Friday, 1997. Wow. That was a Good Friday. Yeah, come and on. Then, <laughs> and uh, I was so hungry for God. I, all I had was traditional experience, and but when I woke up, I knew there was I knew there was more. And um, so that Sunday, I, I went to seven services. I started with a sunrise service. I went through all the churches I could find, and uh, I went back to my um, to my first apartment there, still hungry. And I, I was watching a turned the TV on, and there was this little preacher from Texas with a globe spinning behind him preaching this message in a Texas drawl: "How big is your want to? How big is your want to?" And, He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I'd never heard of before. I didn't know what a want to was, but I wanted one. <laughs> and um, I put my hand to the TV and I got shocked. Wasn't the Holy Spirit just static electricity? And uh, But it led me on a journey. That hunger led me on a journey that would take me uh, you know, lots of lots of stories in between. But I ended up going to a church that had a noon hour prayer meeting every day for 30 days to receive the Holy Spirit and people blew on me and people laid hands on me and smeared me with oil and knocked me down. I got back up again. They tried to punch him into me, slather me into him, you know, slather him into me, but and uh, nothing happened. And then I was driving down the interstate in my in my little truck and I uh, said, Lord, I want everything you have for me. And uh, he said, you'll never have to go to, you'll never have to go through man to get what I have for you. And he baptized me in the Holy Spirit as I was just driving down the street and uh, I just was hungry after God and, and uh, started going to a church and went to a all-night men's prayer meeting in, uh, the day after Christmas of 1997. And the Lord said, move to Pensacola, a place I never heard of before. And uh, 11 days later, I left with $141 in my pocket in a van that didn't have reverse. I'd never been there before, never heard of it before. And um, pulled into town. I got lost. I pulled into a driveway. And um, a couple came out of the garage and asked me if I was David Wagner. And they'd been on a business trip up into Wisconsin. My friend heard their funny Southern accent and um, they exchange information. My friend said, my, I have a friend that's moving there. They exchange information, but I didn't have a pager or cell phone or anything back then. And um, they offered me a place to stay. A month later, I ended up in... Stop, 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 stop. So you drive from, where were you, Wisconsin? Yeah, from Wisconsin to... Pensacola, Pensacola, Florida. Which, how That's many a hours? Drive. Uh, it's about a thousand some miles. So. Okay. You don't know where you're going. have no idea. You randomly turn around in someone's driveway. Open the door to push myself out because I don't have reverse. <laughs> <laughs> and these people come out and say, are you David Wagner? Yes. Yeah, that happens a lot. That's completely <laughs> normal. Yes. Yeah. It's a divine appointment. It's, oh. It was my Cornelius experience. I think my favorite thing about kidding. this whole story is how mellow you are telling what amounts to an incredible story replete with miracles. And you're just like, dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum. It, you know, it, it's new to me every time I tell it. And I've told it a thousand times. And sometimes you think about, well, maybe I'll retire it and tell something different. Oh, it's an amazing, but, but amazing at, testimony. But at the end of the day, I, I think our story, our, our testimony, you know, is the greatest thing we have. Yeah. And... um I think what it does is it, it brings hope. Number one, if you're walking through something like this, you realize if God could do it for him, he can do it for me. Absolutely. So you meet these people who, <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny that what you do for a living is call out people by their names and give them hope, direction, healing, restoration. And yet at the beginning of your 
journey. I mean, you're not even stepping in a prophethood right now, but these people call you out by name and take you in and presumably help you on your way. Yeah, so I, I stay with them um, rent-free. I work for them in their, their little business kind of thing. And I'm, I'm in town for about a month, and uh, I'm going to every church I can find. It didn't matter what the name is. I just wanted God. And, you know, most of the time you'd find a sign that said church. It's not church as usual, and you'd find church as usual. And right. <laughs> I mean, I, I live in a city with over 600 churches for, you know, less than 100,000 people. And so uh, there's a lot of churches. And uh, and so, you know, I, I got to Valentine's Day of, of 98, and I just said, Lord, I want everything you have for me. Uh, I need you to tell me where, where you want me. And if I don't find it tomorrow, um, I'm going back. And he said, what are you going back to? That's a good question. Now, now at this point, are you like when you say you're saying that to the Lord and you're hearing Him back? Was it just from age six you were used to hearing the voice of the Lord? Is is that what it was, or did you grow accustomed? I mean, how do you hear the voice of the Lord back then? I didn't, you know, I didn't talk about it a lot um, because of what I came out of. I didn't want to mean that identified me as crazy, right? Right. But from the time He woke me up, there was this this intimate voice of the Lord where he would just speak to me. And As I, flow or audible or how would it work? So to, to me, it was, it was this, um, there's been a few times I've heard him audibly, but he just speaks to me in, in my, in my heart right. in, in a way that sounds like a loving father talking to a son or to, you know, to a right. son. And, um, and I, I just learned to trust, to trust his voice. It's the voice that woke me up. It's the voice that I heard in the dream when he when I had that visitation when he when he woke me up. That's the best line. It's the voice that woke me up. I love that. I never said that before. It's the voice that woke me up, and um, so he just speaks to me. You know, he said, "Where are you going to go?" And I said, "That's a good question." He said, "It's your year for jubilee," and I said, "I know it's the year of jubilee. I don't even know what that means." In 1998, everybody had out on their signs, you know, especially if you're a charismatic church, you know, it was the year of Jubilee and people were doing Jericho marches around and the resources were coming. And, <laughs> and um, if you remember those days, people had tambourines and whistles. And, and so I, I said, I know it's the year of Jubilee. I don't even know what that means. He said, no, it's your year for Jubilee. Open the phone book. I open the phone book. There's Jubilee Church. And uh, I go and I walk in the door and uh, I'm greeted by this older guy and, and, and his wife. And um, Harold and Barbara Bowling. And uh, I walk in and they open the door and they say, welcome to the house that God built. And Harold shakes my hand. He, he, he kind of steps back and looks me in the eyes and he said, what's your, what's your name, son? I said, I'm David. And he said, you know, David, you're a mighty man of God. And the Lord calls you, son. He's going to take you around the world preaching the gospel wherever he collides, be touched and changed. And uh, here I am, a whole life and uh, I walk into a place, and, and uh, Harold would become one of the most influential guys in, in in my life. But I go into the service, man, and I survive it. It's, you know, I'm used to quiet church, <laughs> and I mean, they got flags. I got flagged that day. I think got hit in the head. I need to get in the <laughs> healing line for a black eye. You, you, know, you know, flaggers. Yes. And um, and so <laughs> and so I'm there, and and this. I mean, it's it's marvelous, but it's weird. It is out of my comfort zone. It is not my preference. It is not what I would choose. It it is uh, it is charismatic craziness. It's revival. You know what I've come to love is revival. But it was so out of the ordinary. Music was loud. 
the pastor was preaching. He would stand, you know, he had a suit and tie on. He had big Pentecostal here. He he stood on chairs and was preaching. And and in the middle of it, man, he he says something that just leaped. And uh, in the middle of his message, he said, "I can live without a lot of things, but I refuse to live without the presence of God." And immediately, it was like the Lord said, "That's what you've been looking for your whole life." You've been on you've been on a journey trying to find out who you are. You've been on a journey trying to to figure things out, and all the attacks of your life was to keep you from my presence. But the thing that you'll pursue, the thing you'll carry the most, is my presence, and the presence is always worth the pressure. And in that moment, uh, twenty years of schizophrenia, twenty years of addiction, twenty years of of crazy, suddenly became worth it for me. Suddenly, all of all of the pressure of the past, all of the rejection, all of the the stuff and, and and crap of life became worth it because it got me to my destination. I think for all of us, and whether it's every meeting or every day, or the destination is 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 the presence of God. And when you get there and you touch that, you know, I'm like that. That's that's my that's my motto. That's what I, I live for. I can live without a lot of things, but I refuse to live without the presence of God. And and uh, I leave the meeting that that day, and still kind of freaked out. And, and I couldn't stop looking at the the welcome packet and talked about what they believed and the gifts of the Spirit. And it, it was all new; um, never heard of any of it before. And uh, the next day, the Lord told me to go to the prayer meeting, and I went and saw the Titanic instead. You you would think that I would I would get things by now, but. I went and saw the Titanic, and um, the next day he said, go to the prayer meeting. We had prayer meetings Monday and Tuesday back then, and I went to the mall, and um, before I could get out of the car, he shook me. The Lord just shook me. He said, where'd you go last night? I said, Lord, only you know, and uh, he said, if you don't get to the prayer meeting, you'll have a Titanic experience, and uh, I went. I survived the prayer meeting. You ever been to those prayer meetings where everybody's speaking? We we speak to the north, to the south, the east, to the west, the southeast, the west, west, the... And, um, and you know, it was wild to me. And on the way out, I'm walking out of the church, and the pastor's son hits me on the side of the leg and said, what's your name? I said, David. He said, David, you know, you got a call of God on your life. It's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go. Lives be touched and changed. And so um, he starts to disciple me. My, my pastor starts pouring into me. And uh, I follow my pastor over to a, a meeting an hour away where he's speaking. And uh, at the time, the only thing God didn't take from me was cigarettes. I, I, everything else was just immediately... I was free, but cigarettes was just something for whatever reason. And so I had this suit on. I was smoking a cigarette in the parking lot when the church van pulled up and conviction hit. So I, I put it out, splashed on some brute and uh, popped in a <laughs> piece of double mint gum. Right. Thinking that would mask the, the deal. And I'm, so, I'm not sure brute's better than cigarettes. I, I call it butt, actually. But, and, you know, so he he preaches his deal and... um I'm sitting back towards the sound booth by myself, not even sitting with the other church people. And about 30 minutes into, before he's about to close, the Lord says, I want you to call him down here. I want you to have him give give a word. And he said, you know, the guy's only been in my church two months. He's crazy. You know, he's just out on the parking lot smoking a cigarette. You know, I can't do that. You know, get behind me, Satan. Now he was, for 30 minutes, the Lord dealt with him. And at the end, he just said, come here, son. And, uh, he said, God's going to give you a word. Everybody needs their first time. And uh, God gave me this word, and I, I 
call out this African-American guy and say, the Lord's cleansing your blood and giving you two new kidneys today. And he's going to give you your voice back and, and you're going to use and praise and worship. And that night the kid got healed of, of AIDS and um, HIV and um, was on, actually needed two new, needed a kidney transplant and got healed both of his kidneys. Today he's leading worship in, in, in Baymanette, Alabama. That's not bad for your first word. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. I have to stop you right here. So I'm kind of speechless here. So how did you? How did all that come? Did you just hear the word the same way you'd been hearing the the Lord speak all those years, but just completely different content? Yep, different content. So instead of go to a prayer meeting, it's like pick out that guy over there. Yep. Now say this. Yep. And did you know what you were doing? Did you have any grid for the prophetic? I had. I had no. I had no grid. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know. Thus saith the Lord. I didn't know. Had you seen anyone do it before? The, the you know the church is a prophetic church, so I've right. seen people kind of give corporate words, um, and so that was my first that was my first time. And did you have faith, like when you were speaking those words? I mean, presumably, faith, faith rose uh, to such an extent that um, the next day my sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and I said, "Just shut up and listen." I just watched God heal this. God wants to heal you. And uh, when she went in for surgery, they looked again, and she was completely healed. All of the cancer was gone. And um, and then and and then I, I just started um, being faithful in my local church, and my pastor would teach on the gifts. He did what we call Holy Spirit training wheels class. So we teach on the gifts and do activation. And so I went through that dozens of times. And um, interesting thing was, every time a prophetic ministry would come through the church, without knowing who I was, I was a nobody. I sat in lots of different places. Uh, it happened twenty four times um, that people would come. And they would call me out no matter where I was sitting or what I was wearing. And the word was the same every time. So then you got a call of God on your life. He's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go. Lives will be touch and change and you'll be the one to win your brother. And it happened over and over and over again. And uh, I was just thankful to be alive. And um, I started ushering and greeting. Uh, the Christian school at our at our church hired me as a janitor. And uh, So were you, would you say at this point, because we know you as this... We know you as you are now, you know, you're right. lovable, you're safe, you've got kind eyes, you're totally generous, you're exceptionally loving, you embrace everyone. You know, we know this side of you. Back then, back then were you, were you, you sound like a shell of a person back then. You, you sound pretty fearful. Uh, I mean, obviously your upbringing has been not kind to you. What kind of how how would you describe yourself back then? Very insecure. Still, um, still, my biggest fear was rejection. Uh, had a tremendous fear of public speaking. Um, Were you socially awkward? Like, could you have I, conversations with people, or did that freak you out? It took a while for me to trust people. Right. Um, and so you know, relationships were very slow going. But the Lord gave me a the Lord gave me a friend named Pat, and. Um, He's still one of my best friends today. I was just with him for a few days last week who got saved with a shotgun in his mouth that was such a meth addict and in and out of prisons and diagnosis crazy. And so our stories paralleled. <laughs> so here we are two at the time, two very skinny kids. Right. Awkward who would just randomly say things that were right on, but just socially awkward. And and so it, it took a while, you know. Right. Um, I tell people this is what I've learned that the crazy people don't know they're crazy because if you're crazy, that's just your normal. That's what right. you think everybody's like that. Right. And when you're bound, you know what it's like to be bound. 
you, you know what it's like to uh, deep, be depressed. You know what it's like to be suicidal. You, you know what it's like to be addicted. You know what it's like to be tormented. That's your normal everyday life, but you don't know what it's like to be free. Right. And so where most people learn learn fear of those things, that was my normal. Right. So I had to learn how to live free. Wow. I had to learn what it was like to, to be a son. I mean, my pastor actually took me into his house for a year and a half. How rare is that? Wow. And he just poured in. He loved, he loved me to life. When I, when I fell, when I uh, failed miserably at things, you know, he, he would say, failure is never final where there's a father. I don't care who rejected you. I'll never reject you. Well, that's an amazing statement. Failure is never final when there's a father. Yeah. When you, and when you know the father, I think that's why there's been such a skewed or crazy attack on the fatherhood in America and in the Western world and throughout the, throughout the world because our view of our natural father distorts our view of our heavenly father. Right. So most people are cool with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that comes, gives me goosebumps, heals me, speaks to me, you know, makes me shake and bake. Um, we're cool with Jesus because he died on the cross. He, you know, he saved us. And he's good with kids and animals. He's good with kids and animals, you know. Likes uh, a party. We like baby Jesus because he's non-threatening. <laughs> you know, we like, you know. But but when it comes to the father, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, until probably up until eight, nine years ago, you know, you, you start talking about the father, you start talking about the father's love, all of those things. And I'd shut, I'd shut down. Of course you would. Because I, 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 I affiliated the father with abandonment. Right. Right. And and so to to deal with that to have you know such a great spiritual daddy come and love you know love me as 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 song was phenomenal. I've got a great stepdad. My mom remarried when I was a, a teenager, and teenage years weren't easy. But you know, over the last sixteen years, my relationship with him is great. But my pastor and he was he was the dad that I, I never had, but always wanted, and and uh, you know he constantly just. It was it was son Harold who met me at the door, my first day at the church. Um, I was with him for for nine years before he went home to be with the Lord. And um, Harold only called me David or Dave twice in nine years. The rest of the time, it was Mighty Man or Son. So I'd come in from a trip and he'd say, "Where are you? Where are we going this week, Mighty Man? How you doing, son?" And so they just so ingrained, they reprogrammed me. So from a, from a, a boy who had father issues and identity issues to being stripped of identity through the mental health system and being an encourager of society to 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 hearing every day you know the affirmations of a father and what what, what i've realized is this my mother loved me said kind things to me in the midst of my craziness moms moms do that but true affirmation can really only come from from a father and so, you know, it took me until I was 27, 28 to get it. Mm-hmm. And after 30 to really understand it and, and to receive it. You know, it just took me on this track where he just, uh, you know, adopted me. And I uh, started working in the church uh, as the janitor, six in the morning to, to six at to, to midnight sometimes. And, and then I was cooking in the Christian school and I washed my hands in between. But um, So during this time, you're, you know, you're the janitor, you're the cook. Are you still getting prophetic revelation? Yeah, so really how my gift got developed, how, you know, the Bible says your gift will make room for you. Yep. Um, so what I would do is I would serve lunch to kids. So we had 
250 kids in the school. 100 of them were getting lunch every day. So here's your hamburger, and God's going to use you to do this. So I was giving, serving their lunch and giving them prophetic word at the same time. So it sounds like God was doing this triune thing. Like one, he was restoring sonship to you and love through the people, through your community you were in. Another one, it sounds like he's cultivating this gift that you have obviously been called since the age of six, but you didn't know how it worked. And then at the same time, he's teaching you, I mean, you're already low, but he's teaching you humility. I mean, you're, you're serving in, in, I mean, most people who are in prophetic ministry, which let's face it, is one of the sexier types of ministry to be in. Especially when you're this handsome and humble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Body of a Greek God. I, I don't know how you do it. It's ridiculous. But most, you know, most people, most young prophets I've met want to aspire to greatness. They're not interested in service. And yet, ironically, prophetic ministry is all about serving. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're serving God and you're serving man. So it sounds like those three things were in operation. Is, is that fair to say? Is that what you were feeling or do you learn that in hindsight? I think looking back in hindsight, one of the, one of the core messages that I think my pastor ingrained into me is the difference between a slave and a son. Slaves are about performance. But, but, but as a son, everything you do is from the place of acceptance. Right. And that acceptance is not based on my performance. It's just based on who I am. And, and so I was in that low place. I, I was so thankful to be alive, so thankful to be accepted. And I just love the house of God, man. I, I love the church. Um, I tell people, I speak at conferences. I get to do lots of stuff. But if you cut me open, I'll, I'll bleed the local church. It's just, it's just, it's just who I am. And I, I read a scripture uh, I was cleaning a toilet one night um, in the woman's bathroom. The building was empty. And um, I was going through just this whole thing, just thankful to be alive. There were some things going on in my in my heart and in my life. And I'm scrubbing the toilet. I'm in the third stall on my hands and knees scrubbing a, scrubbing a toilet in the woman's bathroom. And uh, the scripture rises up. And it comes at the end of David's life. And David said, I set my affection. Uh, I set my affection on the house of God. And I've given more to see it built than anyone else. And he realized that he was sowing into something. He was giving his life for something he'd never see built. And uh, as that scripture came up, I'm scrubbing a toilet. And the Lord said, when you set your affection on my house, I set my affection on yours. And I never had experience like it or since. But this cloud came in the woman's bathroom when I'm cleaning the toilet. And I'm on the floor and I'm just praying in tongues and I'm weeping. My pastor, who's at that time in full-time ministry, over 40-some years, comes back from dinner and hears these moans and these sounds coming from the woman's bathroom. And my car is the only car in the parking lot. And he's calling my name, but I can't answer. And he follows the sound of the woman's bathroom. And he, he opens the door and the cloud comes out and knocks him into the door or knocks him into the wall. And he laid on the floor for three hours. And I laid on the floor in the in the bathroom for five hours. And he said that was the most profound experience he ever had with God. It didn't come through a microphone. It, it came from throne of ministry, from, 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 <laughs> from, from cleaning a toilet. I still describe that today as the highlight of my ministry. I prophesied to presidents and to mayors and to thousands, tens of thousands of people. But that moment marked my ministry. And I'll go home from great trips, preaching with some of the great generals and people we mentioned their name today. You'd say, wow, that's pretty amazing. And I'll go home and I'll, and I'll clean a toilet. 
not because I have to, but because I set my affection on the house of God. And I think that's, you know, a lot of times people think that it's 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 the microphone ministry, it's the being seen, but uh, he saw me when, when nobody else could see me. He And, and so to me, prophecy is just worship. It's my reasonable act of service. You know, today I was in wow. a, I was I was in a church and started at ten and finished at four this afternoon, nonstop. Didn't go to the bathroom, didn't you know? And the people ask me how how do you do that? Well, I don't do it because it's expected of me. I don't do it because I have to. But I've set my affection on the house of God. It's it's my reasonable act of of worship. You know, I, I don't have. A, a lot, but what he's given me, I want to be a good steward of. I want to, I want to pour my life in, in, into people. I want to hear from God for them. Everybody needs, everybody needs to hear the voice of their father. Everybody needs that word that builds them up and encourages them and, and pushes them forward. And and uh, and so, you know, I've given my life, I've given my life to it. it. It's not just what I do on Sundays or conferences or church days. It's it's just who I am. If you. We're having lunch. Something prophetic is going to come out in the midst of joking around or having coffee. Something. It's who I am. I, I just stay in that place of being tuned, you know, tuned in. Uh, but you know, the greatest moment in God, the greatest revelation came in the lowest place. And uh, oh, I love that. We have to wrap this up soon, which means we have to have you back because now I have a plethora of questions that I need to mine out of your life. <laughs> but for now. Like, fast forward, so you've had this word at least 200 times about going around the world, you know, touching lives. You're going to be the one that wins your brother. Talk about winning your brother and talk about going around the world because how many nations have you visited? I've been, I've preached the gospel in 60 nations. Sorry, six zero? Six zero in the last 12 years. Here, Here's the problem with that word for me. I had um, major fears. One of those fears was public speaking. Check. So you're called to be a prophetic voice. You're supposed to preach the gospel. What do you have to do? You have to speak. I still have this amazing fear of, of rejection. And so to stand in front of people, not only do you have the fear of public speaking, but you're giving hundreds of people the opportunity to reject you. Right. And you're telling them things about their life that you don't know for sure. And you're hoping you're right. Right. And, and How so, did you feel about airplanes? Did you have any uh, issues with airplanes? <laughs> I didn't have any issues uh, with airplanes. Still still don't. Two, two million miles later. That's excellent. Even after a crash, I still like to fly. Um, the Yeah, so, you know, um, I'm, I'm in it. So here's, here's the truth. I, I tell people I'm so thankful to be alive. I, I just want to stay in Pensacola. I liked America. And there was a woman in our church named Sixta McKeel. Sixta was from Panama. And Sixta was a crazy woman. She had this cut from her, uh, the scar from her ear down to her throat where she was in knife fight. She, um, she used to say, I used to be a mean, mean woman. And uh, I was in witchcraft. And she couldn't say witchcraft. It always came out witchcraft. Uh, and, <laughs> and not much difference probably, to me. Yeah, probably about right. Yeah. And so she gets radically saved, marries a guy in the U.S. Air Force. They moved to Pensacola, get touched by Toronto, touched by Pensacola. She's baptized in the Holy Spirit, serving God. She gets hit with pancreatic cancer, goes blind, withers away to 75 pounds, dies. She's in the morgue of West Florida Hospital. Uh, nine hours. After nine hours, this guy is working in there, sees the sheet moving. Uh, he gets curiosity, gets the best of me, pulls the sheet back. Uh, this little Panamanian lady opens her eyes, looks at him and says, Sancocho, por favor. She asks for a type of chicken soup from Panama. The guy runs out, changes his pants, brings her back some soup. 
Uh, she she died blind, woke up seeing the rest of her life. The Lord grew her pancreas back. We have all the medical documentation in our church. At, at 65, wow. she, at 65, she goes to be uh, a missionary to Panama. She goes to the worst barrio where her first week there, she's um, walking down the street. Two guys jump out at her, hold her at a gunpoint. Uh, she laughs at them because if you've been dead, you don't fear dying. She laughs at them, says, in the nombre de Jesus, in the name of Jesus, they take off running. You think that was good enough for her, but no, she takes off running after them. <laughs> she actually catches them. She takes the guns away, holds them at gunpoint, makes them say the sinner's prayer. I'm not I'm not advocating that for evangelism. <laughs> they, they become her two. The reason I'm saying that is you don't tell this lady no. And so she's on furlough. She's volunteering in the kitchen and um, – Every day she bothers me. She goes, when are you going to go to Panama? I said, I'm never going to Panama. I like Pensacola. She said, no, Davey. I asked the Lord, the Lord. He said, yes. I said, well, I asked the Lord, the Lord. He said, no. So every day, when are you going to go to Panama? I'm never going to go. So finally, I get so upset with her. I said, you know, listen, Sixta, I will go to every other nation, but I'll never go to Panama because you bother me. She said, no, I asked the Lord, the Lord. He said, yes. So one day uh, she'd have these encounters with God in the midst of serving lunch or cleaning, doing the dishes, and she'd fall on the floor of the kitchen of the church, and she'd have these encounters with God. And one day she gets up, and she kind of gives me that crazy charismatic look, you know, the half drunk, half kind of crazy. She points her finger at me. She said, I'm so tired of hearing the word over your life. I'm so tired of every prophetic voice calling you out, your testimony. You're going to go around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go. Lives will be touched and changed. She said, I'm so tired of hearing it. The other day I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why does David go nowhere? And the Lord, he say, you don't have a passport. So she grabs me by my ear. She brings me to the office. She throws me in a chair, makes me fill out a passport application. She brings me to CVS Pharmacy, gets my mugshot taken, brings me to the post office, expedites to have the thing uh, expedited. And um, it gets back to me on the 20th of February, 2002. And for the first time on the 22nd of February, 2002, I was in Panama for the first time. I've been there 50 times and I've been to 60 nations since. Wow. In 2004, the church that said God couldn't speak, God couldn't heal, God couldn't do anything that was in that book and told me that I was crazy had me back and recognizing me for uh, for being in full-time ministry and they wanted to put my name on a plaque in the in the foyer and so there was a day where they're celebrating me and they gave me three minutes to speak so i took seven <laughs> and on the uh, on the back row of the church was my brother and eight of my uncles i'm the first man in my family to ever serve the lord but that day all of those my brother and my uncles gave their life to the lord today every uh male in my family is born again Wow. So if you look through my f- family tree from the from three and four generations back, uh, from my grandmother in Scotland, my other grandmother in the Netherlands, my grandfather in the Netherlands, and my grandmother and my grandfather that was in America, pre-Revolutionary War, his family. Um, I'm, the, I'm the first man ever to serve the Lord. My, my dad gave his life to the Lord six weeks before he died on his deathbed, but... So it's the it's the power of the gospel. Right. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast our confession again to hope, because he who made the promise is faithful. He honors his word even above his name. He watch over, watches over it day and night. He's careful to perform it. And I realize something. The devil's not big enough to stop my prophetic word. Life isn't big enough to stop it. That The Lord will keep his word. He'll do whatever it takes. I'm living. I'm living that word out. You know, in a couple of weeks, I'll be in Australia for, I think, the 12th time in, in the last five years. The 
doors are opening to to places all over, speaking sometimes to 40,000 people at a time. We've seen somewhere around a half a million uh, or, or more people give their life to the Lord um, around the world. Seeing two people raised from the dead, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walk. Uh, I'm, I'm a living testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And um, something happens when you grab a hold of it and you let him grab a hold of it. You, uh, I think Graham Cook says it like this. Sometimes you got to take the word over your life and make it a part of your life. And 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 that's the that's the season that that I'm in. So it's kind of the Reader's Digest version David, of the story. Good wow! Night. I mean, I spent large portions of you talking with my just jaw on the ground. I'd heard bits and pieces of your story, you know, over the years that we've known you, but never systematically like that. That is an incredible testimony of the kindness of God. He's been good, and it's evident in you. You know, we always say that you cannot give what you do not have. And so your ministry is called Father Heart. And you carry the Father Heart of God. You carry love. You carry compassion. You carry extravagance with regard to kindness and patience. You know, you're one of the most loving people we know, uh, which means you can't generate that on your own. That means you're in touch with that from the Father. Honestly, I was probably a mess for most of the time that you're talking and, uh, I, I'm just thinking about all the people that are going to hear the podcast and know that God is good and that there's nothing he can't save you from. Uh, I think the things that we think disqualify us are actually the things that qualify us. And something happens, you know, when you tell your story, God God brings his glory. And I don't want to just be cliche and rhymey, but it's true. You know, uh, today I told the story and watched 12 people give their life to the Lord. You know, you... You tell the story, and whether it's one, and, and there's you know what he what he brings you out of is normally what he will use you to set people free from. And you know every every day I get the opportunity of seeing people just radically set free from suicidal spirits and orphan wow. spirits, and begin to see um, tremendous uh, breakthrough. We've seen people healed from I mean just completely healed of schizophrenia. I saw my first case in a couple months ago of a little boy healed of autism. And epilepsy. Well, do us a favor, would you, Dave? Would you pray for everybody who's listening to this right now? Just pray a blessing over everyone who's listening, and then we're going to let you go. You've been ministering all day. It's now late into the night, and I know your schedule the next couple of days. So pray for us, would you? Amen. Well, Father, I I love you. And um, Lord, I thank you that, Lord, when we, we call, you answer and Lord, your uh, your loving kindness is better than life. Your your goodness, Lord, is amazing. And Lord, uh, there's people that are listening today. Maybe some people in deep dark depression. Some people wondering, is it worth it? Do they? Some people are listening, thinking maybe the world would be better without me. Some people are trying to 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 get the courage to end their life. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would go and that you would arrest them with your love, Lord, the same way. That, Lord, your love came down and rescued me 19 years ago. Lord, would you do the same for your sons and your daughters listening today? Lord, I just take authority. I break off every spirit of suicide and depression and oppression off of your sons and off your daughters. And uh, some of you listening today, I just see the Lord just handing you an identification card. This is a season of really knowing who you are and whose you are. And I'm just telling you right now that Jesus is crashing in on this podcast. 
that, that the Lord is coming. There's no distance in the spirit, and we're recording this on a on a Sunday night, but you may be listening to this at some other point. The anointing is just as strong now as it was when we started. And I'm telling you right now that you're worth it, that you are so worth, you are so worth, you, you are so worthy of the love of God. You are so worth him coming and dying on the cross. He didn't come to give us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And I just release the power and the love and the sound mind over you. I just believe right now, somebody you're listening and you, you've been abused, you've been in abusive situations, and you're just looking for a way of escape. I just, man, all day today, when I woke up at 6.30 this morning, the Lord said, mercy's coming. And I saw mercy today, but I feel on this podcast, mercy's coming. I feel the mercy of God coming. Some of you, you didn't go too far. You, Somebody listening, you had an abortion. You think it disqualified you. Listen, failure is never final where there's a father. Some of you, you've been addicted. You, you, you've made poor decisions. Maybe you got babies out of wedlock, whatever it is, and you feel like somehow you've gone too far. I'm here to tell you that the father's love is coming, crashing in on you today. And failure is never final where, there, where there's a father. And I pray right now that as you would listen to this podcast, as you'd come to the end, you would hear the voice of the Father saying, uh, there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you any more. I just love you. Let the love of God, I don't care what anybody said about you, there is a Father in heaven declaring over you that you're his beloved son, you're his beloved daughter, and whom he is well pleased. So, Lord, let freedom, let liberty, Lord, just let... Your love and your mercy come crashing through on this podcast tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. David, that was absolutely incredible. How can people follow you on social media, find out more about your life or where you're going to be in the country or the world? So fathersheartministries.org is my website. I'm on Facebook as David Wagner. There's other also another ministry page, Father's Heart Ministries, uh, and Twitter F-H-M-I-N-T-L. And if you're an Instagrammer, which is my favorite thing right now, it's at Davy Wag. Davy Wag. We'll put links to all of those in the show notes for this week's episode. Go to alanandaj.com slash 86, and we'll be back next week. See ya. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God The things we deal with every day From Franklin, Tennessee They are just like you and me Alan and AJ Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses Sharing their life experiences If you are a human being, there's something here for everyone.